Turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7. Last week we looked at Noah. This week we're going to look at Noah. If I had a lot of time, next week, the following week, we'd look at Noah. And the week after that, we'd look at Noah. And the week after that, we'd look at Noah. Why? Because I want you to Noah theology. I want you to Noah the scriptures. Do you know that if you understand Noah, you understand the doctrine of justification? You understand the righteousness of God? You understand God's predestination and election? You understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God? You understand what it means to walk with God just by looking at the life of Noah. There's so much theology in the man's life that just comes to life for us when we understand what God did in and through this man. But we do want to conclude today, Hebrews 11, verse number 7, with Noah, a man who lived a, a life of faith. As we talked about last week, remember, he's only one of two men in the Bible who is said to have walked with God, Enoch and Noah. It doesn't mean that nobody else walked with God. It just says that these two men walked with God. So if God says it, if God states it, it's significant. Because through Noah's life and Enoch's life, we begin to understand what walking with God looks like. And so you need to understand Enoch and Noah. That's why we're going through the hall of faith. So you begin to understand these things. And we understand that through Noah's life, this man, whose name means rest, teaches us how to live a life of rest. He was a forgiven man. He was a faultless man. He was a faithful man. He was a fruitful man. All that in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8, to help us understand, and verse number 9 as well, help us understand this man's life and how to live a life of complete and total rest. And when you understand Noah's life, you begin to understand what it means to walk the faultless life or the blameless life. I told you last week, it doesn't mean they never sinned. No, he sinned, but it was a blameless life, a faultless life. That means there was no blight upon his life, no character defect that would bring a reproach upon God and the people of God. No obvious defect in his life. That means he would be a man who confessed his sin, who repented of his sin, who sought reconciliation with God on a regular basis. He was a man who lived a faultless or a blameless life in the time which was the most wicked of all times in the history of the world. More about that in just a moment. But let me read to you Hebrews 11, verse number 7, which reads as follows. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. If you got your Bible... Back to Genesis chapter 6, verse number 9, it says, These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his, in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the, of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all. Not some, but to all that God had commanded him, so he did. What, a, what an incredible, incredible man. Four things I want you to see, Okay? Noah, number one, was mindful of the word of God, motivated by the fear of God, meticulous in his service for God, and made a child of God. Just four simple points from Hebrews 11, verse number seven, with the commentary in Genesis chapter six. Okay? First of all, Noah was mindful of the word of God. It says, by faith, Noah. Faith is believing in what God has said. How does Noah know what God has said? Three ways. Enoch's teaching, Methuselah's testimony, and God told him. Okay? He knew of Enoch's teaching about the coming judgment of God. So God, through Enoch, his first prophet, he understood about the coming judgment of God. His son Methuselah was a testimony to the word of God. In other words, his name means it shall not come Okay, when, until he dies. When he dies, it shall happen. What will happen? The judgment. So Noah knew that because he was a contemporary of Methuselah. Because in the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. But also God told him. God said to him, I'm going to destroy the world. 
He told him, it says in, in uh, Hebrews 11, 7, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not seen. He didn't see what was going to happen, but God told him. Because faith is believing in what God has already said. It's trusting obedience, right? It's believing absolutely everything that God says and behaving accordingly to all that God says. That's what simple faith is. Noah believed absolutely in what God said. So much so, it says that Noah did all that God said. Not some. Didn't didn't take a shortcut on, on how tall the ark was or how wide the ark was or how long the ark was. He did it exactly as God said because he wanted to obey all of the word of the living God. He was mindful of the word of God. Here he is in the Mesopotamian Valley, somewhere between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, in the middle of, 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 of an open arena where there were no trees. And God says, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to destroy the world with water. I'm not sure Noah ever saw a boat before, let alone build a boat, but now he has to. And after about 50 years, I, I've been saved for 49 years. I figured that out this morning. I was saved when I was 14. I've been saved 49 years, okay? After about 50 years of doing the same thing every day, getting up. Remember, he did it without a truck, without trains, without tools, electric tools, without a chainsaw. He had to cut down trees to build an ark. How did he get the trees into the Mesopotamian Valley? How did he do all that? But see, that's why it took him 120 years. See, it took him so long. But by faith, Noah, he believed what God said. You see, some of you have been praying for the salvation of a family member for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. You're not saved yet. And you're thinking about maybe I should stop praying. No, don't stop praying. Don't stop asking God to do a great work. You maintain persistency in your prayer life. You keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. Why? Because that's what God's commanded us to do, trusting him to accomplish great things. Noah could have easily quit, but he didn't. He was completely mindful of the word of God. I like what it says back in Genesis 6, verse number 22. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Do you notice that in Genesis 6, Noah did not hesitate. Noah did not procrastinate. Noah did not speculate. Noah did not contemplate. And Noah did not debate with God. He just obeyed all that he said. Just that simple. That's why you walk with God. Why do we have trouble walking with God? Because we want to procrastinate. We're not so sure we want to do what God says. We want, to, we want to delay our obedience. But delayed obedience is always what? Disobedience, right? And so you have to re- realize that when God says to do something, we do it. God doesn't want us to question him. He just wants us to simply obey him. That's it. It's not rocket science. He's not asking us to do things that he didn't already equip us to do. So here is Noah being warned by God about the destruction of the world 
having heard the testimony of Enoch, of Methuselah, having heard the teaching of Enoch, understanding those things, and having been told specifically by God what he was going to do, Noah obeyed. That's why he walked with God. That's why he's in the hall of faith. That's why he lived a blameless life, a faultless life. Noah was mindful of the word of God. But number two, Noah was motivated by the fear of God. Hebrews eleven seven says, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence or in fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. In reverence. King James says, in fear. Which is a better translation? You know, we've, we've dumbed down the word fear in Christianity. There needs to be a recapturing of the holy terror of God with Christians. I'm afraid that that doesn't happen much anymore. We don't preach on the fear of God. We should. But Noah was motivated by the fear of God. It motivated him, moved him. Like it should move you and me. It motivates us. Listen, I, I live in holy dread of the living God. I'm not living in fear of the judgment of God. I'm not living in fear of the condemnation of God. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4, 18. The fear of what? Well, perfect love doesn't cast out the fear of God, but perfect love does cast out the fear of condemnation and fear of judgment. And so therefore, I am freed from those things. But it means I live in the fear of the Lord all day long. What did Solomon say? Listen, the end of all man sums it up this way. Fear God, keep his commandments. If you fear him, you will keep his commandments. Isaiah 66, verse number two. To this man will I look, to him who is broken out of a contrite heart, who trembles, who shakes uncontrollably under the authority of my word. Noah did that. Noah would shake under the fear of the living God because God spoke. When we open the word of God, God is speaking. That causes us to, to shake uncontrollably under what he says. Not because we're going to be condemned, not because we're going to lose our salvation. No, none of that's true. But because he is a holy God and I'm an unholy person. And I am called to follow him and, and to serve him. That's why in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 14, verse number 7, the angel flies around him in heaven and says, as he preaches the gospel, fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory. You can't give God glory unless you fear him. Why is that the message preached? Because everybody during the tribulation is living in fear of what? Fear of death. Fear of the next part of the sky falling. Part of fear of what the next earthquake is going to bring or the next poison water is going to bring. They, they live in the fear of, of death. Listen, we know Psalm 130 verse 4 says, There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Why does God forgive us of our sins? 
So we can go to heaven? No. So that you will fear him. The byproduct of that is heaven. But he wants you to fear him. Why? Because Romans 3 tells us, having quoting from the Old Testament, that there is no fear of God before the eye of the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't fear God. Only the believer fears him. We live in the holy terror of the living God. That's how we live our lives. Noah was motivated by that fear. He knew that God was serious about what he said. See, we don't think God's serious by what he says. We think, well, he's so, he's so graceful and so loving and so merciful. He'll understand. That's just the wrong view of God. He is a holy God who demands we live a holy life. And so we live in the fear of God all day long. That's why the Lord said, do not fear the one who kills body, but fear the one who can kill body and soul in hell. Put it this way, do not fear what man can do, only fear what God can do. Very important. But listen, we live in the fear of what man can do instead of living in the fear of what God can do. In other words, the unbeliever lives in the fear of death. The believer lives in the fear of the one who holds the keys to death. See the difference? Revelation 1 and 18 tells us that Jesus Christ our Lord holds the keys to death and Hades. That's the one you're to fear. Not fear death, but fear the one who holds the keys to death. That's the living God. See, the unbeliever fears death, but the believer doesn't fear death. He fears the one who holds the keys to death. How do we know that? Well, we've already studied it. Hebrews 2, verse number 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Do you know that God freed you from the fear of death? When you were saved, you were saved from the bondage of Satan and you were saved from the fear of death. Meaning that if you fear death, maybe you're not saved. Because you should fear only the one who holds the keys to death. Why? God has removed that fear. Death has no power over us. We are set free from all of that. And therefore, we live in that freedom. Therefore, we understand Noah, who was motivated by the fear of God. That's what moved him. Listen, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 5, verse number 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. That's always been the message of God. Chapter 6, verse number 24, Deuteronomy. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and our survival as it is today. Moses says, look, as I close out my life, know this, all these statutes God gave you, he gave you for one reason, that you might fear him. If you fear him, it will be for your good and for your survival in the land of Canaan. If you don't fear him, 
you're going to be in trouble. What happened to Israel? They lost the fear of God, and they began to incorporate their lives with the idols of the land and began to worship those because they didn't fear God. Deuteronomy 8, verse number 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Deuteronomy 13, 13, verse number four, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice. Serve him and cling to him. Chapter 17, verse number 18, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. This is talking about kings. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. The kings were to write the word of the Lord on a scroll. They were to read it, copy it, write it down. Why? So they would learn to fear the Lord God all the days of their life. That's why David would say these words in the book of 2 Samuel 23, verse number 3. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously who rules in the fear of God is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. You got to rule men righteously and reverently. You got to rule them in the fear of the living God every single day. My friends, we have lost the holy terror that a relationship with the living God brings. We are to live in the fear of the Lord all day long, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, the 23rd and 24th chapter. That's what we do. That's why when the Bible says, we're getting ready to embark on the Christmas season, right? Just a, a few short weeks away, right? And the Bible says, as the angel spoke, peace on earth toward those with whom he is pleased. And what it says? Book of Luke, second chapter. Peace on earth toward those whom he is pleased. The question is, with whom is the Lord pleased? Answer, Psalm 147, verse number 11. The Lord is pleased only with those who fear him. See that? The Lord is pleased with those who fear him. Those who wait for his loving kindness. Those are the ones with whom the Lord is pleased. And so here is Noah, whose name means rest, meaning he was at peace with God. Why? Because he feared the true and living God. That's why he was at peace. That's why he was at rest. That's why we as believers, during a time of, 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 of a pandemic that sweeps the world, we live at, at peace and rest. Why? Because we live in the fear of God. We don't live in the fear of a virus. We don't fear, live in the fear of mandates. We don't live in the fear of anything anybody says. We don't fear what man can do. We fear only the one who can kill body and soul in hell. We fear the one who holds the keys to death. We don't fear death itself. It's just that simple. Here was Noah. Here was Noah. Who lived a faultless life. A righteous man who walked with God, who, by the fear of God, prepared an ark 
and condemn the world. That's why he did it. That's why he obeyed all that God said. He wasn't about to, to not obey all that God said. He was going to do everything that God said. Because to fear God means you obey his commandments. You do what he says. And that's what Noah did. So Noah was mindful of the word of God, which motivated him to fear his God, right? Which made him meticulous in his service of God. He was very meticulous in what he did. One in preparation, two in proclamation. He was very meticulous in the preparation of the ark because he had to follow God's design. He had to make sure he did everything that God said. It had to be so many cubits, right? So the ark was just about 440 feet long, about 73, 73 feet wide, and about 44 feet high, about as high as a four-story building. There were three decks. Each deck, 95,000 square feet. Total square footage of the ark, 1,396,000 square feet. It's about the size of an ocean vessel today. That's what he did, very meticulous. God said it must be this many cubits high, this many cubits long, this many cubits wide. And Moses, uh, Noah wasn't going to fudge on that. He was going to do exactly as God said because he was very meticulous in obeying everything that God said, very meticulous in his service for God. So in the preparation of the ark, he did it exactly as God said. Now, there had to be questions, right? There had to be questions. How do I get all these animals on the ark? How do I feed all these animals? He didn't know he was going to be in the ark for about a year. That's how long he was. Almost about a year until he got off the ark. How am I going to feed all these animals? How am I going to clean up after all these animals? What am I going to do with them? And food for us, how, how much food do I gather that I can feed the family? A lot of questions in his mind. But he didn't sit back and question God about how long this or how far that. Or the, He just simply obeyed what God said. So that when you come to um, uh, chapter 7 of, of Genesis, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and your household. For you alone have seen, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Noah into the ark. So somewhere between chapter 6 and chapter 7, 120 years took place, he built the ark. And so as he built this ark, God says, enter in. He was very meticulous about what he did for God. The window had to be in the right spot. The door had to be in the right spot. He had to make sure it was all done exactly as God said. But there had to be so many questions. And then the abuse and the ridicule that he and his family would take for all that time. And yet, he, because he didn't fear what they said, he feared what God said, it didn't really bother him all that much. And he could motivate his kids. Listen, all right, God's got a plan. Enoch told us. Methuselah lived it. He's dying. The day he dies, the year he dies, that flood's coming so make sure we just keep building because it's going to happen. Why? God told me. 
God spoke to me. God made it very clear. Noah, this is what I'm going to do. So this is why we're doing what we're doing. See, the more the father knows the word of God, the easier it is to motivate his children for God. The less he knows about the word of God, the harder it is to motivate them. Why? Because he has no plan. He has no purpose. He doesn't know where he's going. He's just hanging out there in, in no man's land. But if he knows the word of God, he can direct his children into the ways of God. Because God has said, God has spoken. This is what God says. This is what we do. This is why we do it. That's what Noah did. He's very meticulous in his service for God. In the preparation of the ark, and then in his proclamation of the word. He was a preacher. How do we know that? Bible tells us, 2 Peter chapter 2, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Verse number four. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now remember, the Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. In Genesis chapter six. Chapter seven, God says, I have seen you as righteous before me. In 2 Peter chapter two, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Very important. So through the preaching of righteousness, he was condemning the world. When he built the ark, he was condemning the world. But he kept preaching with a hammer in one hand and a voice speaking the truth about the coming judgment of God and showing man how he can escape that judgment. Very important. Now he's doing this. Listen, I told you last week, at the, at the, at the most violent time, the most vile time on the face of the earth. How do we know that? Well, we read you last week. Going back to Genesis chapter 6. Hopefully your finger's already there. At least one of your ten fingers is already there. We saw in verse number five, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry they had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. You say, well, why is God sorry? Did not God not know? Why was God grieved? Listen, this is what the theologians call an anthropomorphic statement about God. God being stated in human terms so we can understand him. People say, well, did God change? No, God never changes. God never changes, right? God created man good. God created man sinless, Adam and Eve, right? God didn't change. Who changed? Man changed. God is always holy. God is always just. God must punish sin in his justice. But by his grace, he lets some men live. Some men are saved. And so therefore, God didn't change. Man changed. Man sinned against the true and living God. He was created one way, but went a different direction. That would grieve a holy God having given them everything perfectly, they would rebel against that. But why was every thought, every intention of man evil continually? Well, if you read Genesis chapter six, it says in verse number four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days 
And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, this is the whole sermon in and of itself. So let me sum it up for you. The sons of God are fallen angels. We know the sons of God are angels basically from the book of Job. Job 1, Job 2, Job 38. So we know that the sons of God are referred to as angels. These are angels. Okay? And what did they do? They left their first estate and they cohabitated with the daughters of men. Well, how can angels do that? How can demons do that? They're spirits. Yeah, but demons can, can infest and incorporate themselves into a male body. And then they would reproduce a demon hybrid raid, uh, uh, he, he, excuse me, a demon hybrid race, and that's why they were mighty men, men of renown. Nimrod in chapter 10 is called a mighty man. He was mighty because of his wickedness and his violence. So these demon offspring, demon man offspring, were men of violence. That's why the world was as evil as it was. You can go back to 2 Peter and read about how these angels were kept in, in chains of bondage until the Lord comes again. And you, you can begin to understand what the scriptures say about them. Jude 6 and 7 also speaks about them. So I can go into great detail. If you want to listen to our sermon on Genesis 6, you can begin to understand these things. But this is why the world was so wicked. This is why it was so violent. Demons had infested these men these sons of God had invested these men who cohabitated with the daughters of men and produced a demon hybrid race. And when God sent his son, he didn't send his son to redeem demon man. He sent his son to redeem man. So this makes everything violent, everything evil. The thoughts of men being evil continually because Satan is running rampant on the earth. God says, that's it. They all got to die. So he destroyed them all. That's why it's so much worse than it is today. And I know we don't understand that. We have a hard time comprehending that. But God says, that's it. I got to destroy the world. But I'm going to grace one man. I'm going to grace one man and his family. And I'm going to start over again. And that's what God did with Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says these words in the book of Matthew. Listen to this. Matthew 24, verse number 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. We think of marrying and giving in marriage as just normal everyday getting married. But that is in specific reference to Genesis chapter 6, where demons were being married and given in marriage to the daughters of men. And therefore, that's why it was such a demonic age. Just like it will be during the tribulation. It will be a demonic age because Satan will have filled the earth. He would have been cast down to the earth. We have a hard time understanding that. We thought he was cast out of heaven way back before Genesis chapter 2. Revelation 12 says that Satan is before the throne of grace day and night. And he will be cast out of heaven geographically. He was cast out of heaven morally between Genesis 1 and chapter 2. 
but now he's going to be cast out geographically during the tribulation. He's going to come down to earth, and demonic oppression will be all throughout the world. And that's why it'll be so violent. That's why when the Lord returns, he destroys mankind, those who have rebelled against him. And that's what we're looking forward to one day. But until that day, we understand that Noah was very meticulous in his service for God. He had to preach the righteousness of God. He had to proclaim the truth of God. He had to condemn the world when he built an ark. Now notice this, back to Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, so much to say. In reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his, soul, of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Think about that. Do you know the very first man in the Bible declared righteous was Noah? Genesis chapter 6. It wasn't that Enoch wasn't righteous. He was. But Noah is the first person in the Bible to be declared a righteous man. Isn't that interesting? He was a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us. But Genesis 6 tells us that he was a righteous man. Now listen, it says back in Genesis chapter 6, these words, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God, verse 8, but Noah was graced by God. And these are the records of the generations of Noah, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. So people think God had favor on him because he was righteous and because he was blameless. No, not true. He was righteous and blameless because God graced him. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God decided to grace Noah. Noah's thoughts and Noah's mind was as evil as everybody else's thoughts and mind. But God graced Noah. God didn't grace anybody else. Just one man and his family, nobody else. That was God's choice. God was going to start again. Because God graced him, he now became a righteous man. Not a perfect man, but he had a righteous standing before the true and living God. It's a legal term. We understand this way, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Christ bore in his body your sin and mine, right? On Calvary's tree. God the Father treated the Son as if he committed all your sin, although he was sinless, so that we would be made the righteousness of God in him we would be treated with the holy righteousness of God as he looks down upon us. It's a legal term. It's the doctrine of justification by imputation, which has such great theological implications because it's the high point of the atoning work of Christ. So Noah was graced by God. God chose him among all the evil people in the world and graced him and declared him a righteous man before him because Noah would believe by faith in what? The seed from Genesis 3.15 that was going to come. 
He believed by faith about the animal sacrifices based on Adam and Eve, based on Abel and Cain. He believed all that. He understood all those things and began to realize that the Messiah was going to come, that there was a promised seed that was going to arrive. But in the meantime, God was going to destroy the world and start over again. And Noah didn't understand all the implications of that, but he believed everything that God said. He believed everything there was to understand about the coming Messiah up to that point. And he trusted by faith in all that God said. You see, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Listen, religion doesn't work. Only righteousness works. But you can't obtain righteousness on your own. So Paul says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the spirit, a man is saved, right? I I can't earn my way to, to heaven. I can't do enough good things to get to heaven. But God in his grace and God in his mercy can save a man and declare him righteous before him because by faith we've been set free. By faith we've been justified before him. Listen to the the book of Romans, the third chapter, which says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all who sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ. It says in verse number 26, his righteousness at this present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified. We are declared right before God. His righteousness is credited to our account, not by anything that we have done, but by the grace of Almighty God, who by faith we trust and believe in what he did on Calvary's cross. So here is Noah, way back in Genesis chapter 6. And the writer of Hebrews, who is trying to get all these Hebrew people to understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, and to believe in the coming promise of the new covenant, and you have to believe by faith based on what God has said, because there's nothing you can do to earn God's acceptance using Noah as a supreme illustration of a man who was declared righteous before God and he didn't know near as much as all these Hebrew people did in the audience. He's trying to explain to them what it means to be justified by faith alone. Remember Job's question? How could a man be made right before God? That's always been the question. Job asked it first. And the question is very simple. How does a man, how does an unholy man ever get right with a holy God? Answer, you can't. You can't. But God can. God can declare you righteous. God can make you righteous. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn his acceptance. But when God graces you by faith, in what he has said, you believe all that he says. And the righteousness of Christ 
is imputed to your account and you are made right before the true and living God. That was Noah. That's why God spared him. He was going to be used by God to start a whole new generation of people. So we've lived this long till now, waiting for God to come. And so as it was in the days of Noah, so it is today. There was a preaching of righteousness during the days of Noah. There's a preaching of righteousness today. God has set aside his people to preach the truth of the living God. As it was in the days of Noah, so it is today. We keep preaching the truth, living the truth, explaining the truth. Why? Because man needs to know how to be right with God. And guess what? We have the answer. We know what the Bible says. So we explain it to people. So when it's all said and done, they no longer fear death. They don't fear hell. They don't fear the unknown. Why? They just fear the one who holds the keys to death, who knows everything that we don't know, and that's the one we fear because he is the one who gave his life for us. That's what Noah did, and that's how we live our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, the opportunity you give us to spend time in your word. So brief it is, so much to cover, so little time. But we thank you, Father, that on this day, we could look at your word and realize what it means to be justified by faith in God alone. As a man like Noah was, who lived a, a gruesome, in a gruesome time, a violent time, but maintained his, his steadfast commitment to the word of God and to the person of God. May we likewise, in Jesus' name, amen.